Okay, these are going to be great sections today. Looking forward to talking about the armor of God, believe it or not. I'm interested in learning a little bit more about Hiram Page and what it means to do things with an eye single to God's glory. And the importance of order in the church and receiving revelation. Yeah. Be great. So welcome everyone. Before we get into our discussion, maybe we can follow up on what we read. Yeah, let's do it. So we are studying Doctrine and Covenant sections 27 through 28 today. Joseph is going to set out to prepare the sacrament, and while doing so, he is commanded to use only wine that they have made. Hiram Page is deceived by Satan and given false revelations. Many are deceived, including um, Oliver Cowdery and the Whitmers. And the Lord is going to help us to understand how revelation is received and the pattern and the order from God. Now, there are obviously a lot of things that we can talk about in these subjects, but we're going to focus in on three things in particular. Things must be done in order, which is to say how the church is to be governed, what it means to put on the arm of God, and what having an eye single to God's glory actually means. So in order to help us to better do this, we have invited our wonderful friend, Keith Erickson. If you could please come up to the stage. Welcome, Keith. Hi, happy Love to be to have here you with here. you. Thank you. Yeah, have a seat. So Keith Erickson is an award-winning author, teacher, and public historian. You're also the director of the Church History Library in, in Salt Lake City. Uh, we're, we're excited to have you here and, and learn from you today. Glad to be here. What do you think about your job? It is a job that changes every day. There's yeah. just uh, all kinds of things going on and really no way to prepare. You just show up and do what you need to do. Do you have like a favorite one or two artifacts that you just love to show people? We've got artifacts on display, and we really have our best things uh, out there. We've got the original manuscript of the Book of Mormon, early editions of Scripture, some personal items that belong to Joseph Smith and other prophets. So, uh, yeah, they're wonderful treasures. Great. Again, thanks for coming. We're really interested in learning from you. And um, before we begin, we like to ask our guests, reading over sections 27 and 28, uh, what kind of stood out to you? What was meaningful for you? What was significant? Yeah, this is from the very earliest days of the church. This is the summer, fall of 1830, and they are so new at living the gospel and running the church, and mm. they don't know a lot. And mm. to me, that's an exciting part of history where things are being revealed. Mm -hmm. Great. So to begin off, maybe we can talk about this idea of all things must be done in order. Yeah, so we look at section 27 and 28, and there are, there are a couple of different main topics that would deal with that. Maybe the, the sacrament and the use of the wine that they are to make, and then also Hiram Page and, and finding the stone. So maybe you could give us some, some context to section 27 first. Keith? Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, the immediate context here is that uh, Joseph Smith is preparing for a baptismal service. And as part of that, they want to administer the sacrament. And so he's on his way to purchase some wine uh, and that's the moment where a heavenly messenger greets him and gives him different instructions. Mm -hmm. Is it significant for any reasons? I mean, saying don't use the wine, can we, do we have any ideas behind that at all? Or can, is it okay if they use any other wine? Or what do we know? Yeah, in this immediate story, they're, they're talking about purchasing wine from enemies. And so there was a danger that somebody would uh, do something to poison the saints or harm the saints. And so the instruction is to use wine of their own making. Now, have there been other significant changes to the way the sacrament is placed, uh, practiced over, over the years, or is the water to the wine kind of the main? Lots of things have changed in the procedures of the sacrament. Uh, early in the 20th century, people played music to accompany the sacrament. Now we do it in silence. In the 19th century, they took uh, drinks from the same cup. And mm -hmm. so it was a, 
uh, 20th century context, actually the Spanish influenza after World War I, when they started to be aware of hygiene and, uh, and began to separate the cups mm -hmm. for individual use. Mm. In fact, Brigham Young has a statement where he says, um, we use water as though it were wine, for we were commanded to drink not of wine for this sacred purpose unless it be made by our own hands. So obviously this is pre-word of wisdom that they are still talking about making wine and using that wine. We, don't, we clearly are not using wine today, but that's kind of the process of, of that wine too. So, so we have that wine and water and, and making your own wine. And that was part of kind of understanding a little bit more about policy and the order of church government per se. But it's section 28 especially where we see this order of church government coming through. And again, as Keith was saying, I mean, we're talking the 1830s. I mean, imagine what the church would be like right now if any one of however many millions could just say, I have received revelation from the Lord and this is the way it's going to be. But in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have a very strict order, per se, of how to receive revelation for the entire church. And that really started with this revelation. Oliver Cowdery had been led astray by a series of revelations that had been received by Hiram Page through a stone. Right. Uh, and then Joseph would say, um, the voice of the Lord given company to Joseph, that uh, Hiram is actually being deceived by, by Satan in this case. And then that's when we have kind of uh, the Lord laying out how things should work in terms of uh, receiving revelation for oneself and for the church. Let's go to section 28. We have some verses up there. And let's just talk about what stands out to you. You know, when I looked at this and saw that even Oliver Cowdery was deceived, I thought how kind the Lord was to reprimand him. He, he said, it shall be given unto thee that thou shalt be heard by the church in all things. So he wasn't saying, that was really stupid of you, Oliver. He was saying, you're going to be heard of by the church, but the prophet will receive the revelation. Yeah, excellent. The prophet's going to be the one that's going to have the keys to, to, to this. But Oliver, you're still important. Yeah. You're still very important. You're still significant to the church. Thank you, Vicki. It was a great insight. So in verse 7, it says, prophets are appointed by God. And it says, for I've given him the keys of the mysteries and the revelations which are sealed, and that they will appoint a new stead in his place. And it kind of gives like a little reassurance that there'll always be someone there. Yeah, and, and the beautiful thing, one of the beautiful things about that verse is too, is who's in charge of, of the prophet? Who's in charge of calling the next prophet? It's not by vote. It's not by a bunch of people going and debating against each other. The Lord is the one who is going to choose the next prophet until I shall appoint unto them another in his stead. Yeah, great point. Yeah, Leah, please. Um, while we know that the prophet is the head, yeah. that he reassures us that we also have the rights to personal revelation. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important too that we have that reassurance that we can trust that God's put someone in charge, but that we also have direct communication with him. Absolutely. He, he says that right there in verses four and five, that, that we can still receive those revelations for ourselves. Yeah, it's so important. Can I ask a question, Barbara? Please. So we have different sources of revelation available to us. We have scriptures, we have the words of living prophets, and we have personal revelation from, directly from God. Is one more important to the other? Are they all equal? Like, how are we to kind of adjudicate between what's saying what, do you think? It's such a great question. In the case of, of Hiram Page, he was receiving revelation regarding doctrines of the church, regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ, regarding the building up of Zion, things of that nature, where he's not talking about personal application. He's talking about yeah. fundamental foundational doctrines that were and principles that were really in opposition to what Joseph was teaching, which yeah. is part of the problem here. And part of the reason I ask is, 
I want to allow a little bit of space, and I realize this is something else is going on here in DNC, but if we were to think bigger in terms of our own application. So for example, I, I know a person who um, was considering marrying a person who wasn't a member of this church, and she was worried about it, so she went to her bishop, and they, the wise bishop had her kneel down in his office and pray and ask God right there if she should marry this individual who wasn't a member of the church. He still isn't a member. And according to, to what she told me, the spirit was so strong that she learned that she should marry this man, and she did. Yeah. And he hasn't become a member of the church. I don't know if he ever will, but they're happy in their marriage. And it, it seems like the Lord instructed her to do something that goes against kind of the conventional wisdom of the church or, you know, what the church presents as the ideal. I, I guess I'm wondering, uh, is there room for instances like that? Yeah, I, don't, I would say that that's not, again, doctrine. The doctrine mm. would be the eternal family. Mm. Uh, that's a policy and that's a procedure. Mm. Not always has it been that way. I mean, you think about the early, the early church, there were people all the time that were marrying those who were not members of the church. And there, frankly, there are other sections of Doctrine and Covenants we'll get to. In order to receive eternal life, will they need to be covenant-keeping and making members of the church and be sealed in the temple? Yes, that's the doctrine, mm-hmm. right? And that's what's required of it. So yes, that, that's something that you're trying to receive revelation for. Mm-hmm. It's an individual application. Yeah, great. Keith, did you have something to add to that? Well, one of the things I like about this instruction is, is that it uses this phrase that we're kind of highlighting here, that there's an order to the way that God works. And order in the sense of being a pattern, being something that we can see and observe uh, and then follow. Uh, and, and the order then... Uh, gives us that guidance. Uh, I was talking with a young man recently who had a lot of kind of deep questions about things from church history that were troubling to him. And he said, well, if the prophet or the apostles don't talk about these things at general conference, then I know they're not inspired. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You've got the order here all wrong. That's not the pattern. When they speak at general conference, they're talking to 16 million people and they're giving direction for the entire church. You have some very, very obscure questions and very personal feelings. The order to address those is the Holy Ghost. You've received that gift when you were confirmed a member of the church. The Lord has promised that it can always be with you and it can give you exactly the thing that you need in this moment when you need it. And so keeping the order straight in our mind becomes helpful to us that we don't start looking for things in the wrong place that we, that we know this is, the, this is where the instruction will come. And so this is where I'll seek for it. I, I also love in this verse, speaking of order, I love in verse 11 where the Lord says, and again, thou shalt take thy brother Hiram Page between him and thee alone. He wants Oliver and Hiram to have a quiet conversation together and figure things out. He wants them to go by the spirit. He wants them to talk. He wants them to think. And then as you see on this next part, and tell him the things which he hath written from that stone are not of me and that Satan deceiveth him. Like have that kind of spiritual type of conversation where you explain to him. I mean, I could just kind of see this for myself. Hiram, we appreciate all the work you're doing. I mean, you're my brother-in-law. You're really working hard and you're doing your best, but Satan really wants to deceive. He wants to destroy this church at its earliest stage. And so let's talk about these revelations. Let's talk about this stone and have this conversation between two adult people. It's a positive, uplifting conversation to help people come unto Christ. And I just, I love that idea. I think there's another interesting layer there. Uh, Joseph had to have that same kind of conversation with Oliver. Yeah. Oliver had been deceived. Joseph and Oliver talk it through. And then once Oliver gets it straight, Oliver's charged with going and talking to Hiram Page. Yeah, thank you. So I think we actually have a quote uh, regarding what we're talking about here. 
So it says, I will inform you that it is contrary to the economy of God for any member of the church or anyone to receive instruction for those in authority higher than themselves. Therefore, you will see the impropriety of giving heed to them. And he goes on. But if any person have a vision or a visitation from a heavenly messenger, it must be for his own benefit and instruction. For the fundamental principles, government, and doctrine of the church are vested in the keys of the kingdom. And I think this kind of goes back to your idea of uh, when you're talking about order, how when the, when the leaders of the church are speaking for the whole church, they tend to speak in a, in, a, in a specific way because they hold the keys to speak to all those people simultaneously. But yet there are also, uh, we have the privilege to, to receive revelation for ourselves, which um, doesn't, our stewardship is not the whole church, in other words. I think yeah. this is extremely important. I mean, as members of the church, we have to be extremely careful. There is one prophet. There are a lot of opinions, and there are a lot of people that Satan could deceive in a number of ways. But as members of the church, please follow the spirit, be wise. But there are false prophets even among us today, and that's what he's talking about here. Satan is trying to deceive people, and that hasn't stopped. So this has been a great discussion about um, the church governance and things being done in order. Maybe we can focus a little bit more now on uh, some uh, advice uh, given in, in section 27, uh, specifically about putting on the armor of God. We look at some of those verses near the end of section 27, we see this idea of Satan really trying to destroy this church and Satan trying to destroy these people. They're, they're in the process of starting to build Zion and Satan doesn't want it to happen. And so the Lord is saying, you know what? Now you need to start putting on this armor. So what is it in these verses? Where do you see in verse 15 to the end? What armor specifically stands out to you? And how can you use this armor as a defense against Satan? And how can you use this armor as an offensive instrument? And maybe even as we're going through that, we can bring up my iPad here. And I'll just kind of underline some things that it mentions as you're going through there. Loins girt about with truth breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. I'm familiar with all of the equipment of the armor, but I love what he commands us in that very first sentence in verse 15, where he says, lift up your hearts and rejoice. And I think that's the first real protection from Satan because Satan wants us to be unhappy. He wants us to feel weighed down, distraught. But if we're lifting our hearts up and rejoicing, we're taking that first step into challenging Satan's real desire for us, which is to just be so sad. Rejoice, speak up, talk. Yeah. Get in this, right? Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Choose it. Yeah, choose it. Excellent. So I, I love in the beginning how it tells us to take upon us the whole armor, not just the sword, not just the breastplate, but the whole armor of God. And at the end, then it says, and be faithful until I come. So we're not only doing it for a season or just for a month or just even for the year, but we are asked to endure to the end. Another part that I love in there, and thank you, Charles, is I just love where he says to stand. I love in verse 15 that you may be able to stand. And I love verse 16, stand therefore having your, your, your loins girt about with truth. I love the idea of, you know, don't be a shrinking violet. Stand, let people see you. If there's a crowd, stand up, speak the truth, be willing to be an example of, of, of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think sometimes we get carried away with the part about the armor because it is such a visual metaphor. And then we imagine having kind of a gladiator battle that goes mm. on and on and on. But there's one key here that makes me think that that's not what the Lord intends. Uh, in verse 17, he talks about how the shield of faith quenches the fiery darts. This isn't a long drawn out duel. What the Lord is giving us will just quench it. It's gone. It's over. We don't have to have this battle. We have 
peace and righteousness and truth and faith. And that is what we need. And I wonder if that's why most of the things he mentions are defensive in nature. Yeah, and I think, you know, a shield has a, an offensive use, as does a, as a sword, but this, the sword talks about pouring out his word in revelation upon us. So mm -hmm. I think in that sense, too, you know, we aren't just like all alone in the gladiator arena trying mm -hmm. to defend ourselves. We have uh, the spirit of the Lord, the word of God, and, uh, and we shouldn't be afraid. I love President Hinckley where he finishes this off. He just says, it continues on in our day, the war goes on. And then he says, it is waged in our lives day in and day out, in our homes, in our work, in our schools, in our associations. It is waged over, and I love this, questions of love and respect. It's waged over loyalty and fidelity, obedience and integrity. And then he says, we are all involved in it, men and women, children, boys and girls. It doesn't matter who we are, every individual needs to be wearing this armor in order to survive the tactics of Satan. It's beautiful. It's been a great discussion on, on wearing and putting on the armor of God. So thank you for your insights. Thanks for your points as well. I wonder if I, now we can build on that a little bit by talking specifically about this instruction given by the angels to Joseph Smith uh, to do things with an eye single to God's glory. Um, he's referring specifically to the sacrament here in, in DNC 27.2. We actually have a video from a, a viewer at home regarding this topic. Hi, my name is Stan Johnson. My come follow me question this week is about Doctrine and Covenants section 27. In that section, it talks about having an eye single to God's glory. What does that mean to have an eye single to his glory? What are some practical steps that we can take in order to achieve that? I look forward to hearing your answer. Thanks. Yeah, so maybe we can, we can pick it up there. Let's maybe talk first about what it means to participate in the sacrament with an eye single to God's glory, and then we can kind of um, explore application beyond the sacrament. Yeah, when we partake of the sacrament, we're renewing our gospel covenants, but we are also communing with God. Uh, Elder Oaks mentioned that angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. So the promise in the sacramental prayer that the Spirit will be with us is also a promise that we'll have communion and communication from angels and from uh, heavenly beings who will help us in our daily life. So I love the idea of, of thinking that angels are communicating with us during the sacrament. I haven't ever thought of that before. Um, something we like to do during the sacrament is I'll take my journal and I'll just write things I'm going to do better this week or one thing I'm going to do better. And so I'll write, usually the thought comes to me, smile more or give more hugs. And so that's for me, I can focus on one thing. I can do that and think about it. But I think that really helps us to have an eye single to what can I do better yeah. to yeah. help build the kingdom. That's beautiful. I think it's significant that we remember that the sacrament is the purpose of the sacrament meeting. If we rush it or if we're distracted by other things, uh, that we're kind of missing the most important reason we're going to church in the first place. So how can we participate in the sacrament with an eye single to God's glory? What does that mean? And then we can talk about afterwards, how do we cultivate uh, a singled eye as it were? Yes, please. One way we can take part in it is instead of thinking about the bread that we're eating and the water that we're drinking, we can think about why we're eating it. Like, why are we eating the bread and why we're drinking the water for his sacrifices? Yeah, that symbolism of, of Christ's body and Christ's blood, when we really are thinking about that. Just to build off what Goldie was saying, so this phrase, I single to the glory of God, this isn't the only place that it appears. So in Matthew 6, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Then Luke. 
The light of the body is the eye. When thine eye is single, the whole body is also full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body is also full of darkness. The New Testament was written in Greek. And if you were to look up this word single in Greek, there are multiple ways to translate it. Okay, it comes from the Greek word hoplus, uh, which can mean whole, healthy, properly functioning, or clear. So this idea that if we're performing the things with a unoccluded eye, with an unoccluded perspective, when we're seeing clearly, that's what God wants us to do essentially. So I think to, to participate in the sacrament with an eye single to God's glory perhaps implies a kind of attentiveness to God's glory or the symbols behind the actual things that we're doing. So for example, baptism, rather than thinking about the water and immersion, we're thinking about rebirth and resurrection and, and cleanliness. And the sacrament, rather than thinking about the bread and water, we're thinking about uh, the sacrifice that Christ did for us, how we're cleansed through renewing our covenant. So this idea of seeing beyond the symbols uh, maybe is, is perhaps part of it, or looking yeah. forward to something, perhaps. You know, I think there's also something to be said about the word glory in this phrase. Uh, Joseph receives this revelation, section 27, in the late summer of 1830. And during the summer, he'd also begun the translation, the inspired revision of the Bible. And so in June, he had received the, the revelation, uh, the inspiration uh, that we now record in Moses chapter 1 that talks about God's glory being the immortality and eternal life. And so that's another way to think about when we're taking the sacrament, that's what our eye is on. How are we moving toward the, that reunion with God? Speaking of that reunion, thank you for bringing that up. I love in verse six where, actually it starts in verse five, but he's talking about this future sacrament meeting. And so these people are hearing about this future sacrament meeting that Christ is actually going to be at. And starting in verse five, we see this. It says, behold, this is wisdom in me. Wherefore marvel not for the hour cometh that I will drink of the fruit of the vine with you on the earth. So he says, with Moroni, whom I have sent unto you to reveal the book of Mormon, with Elias in verse six, and he explains why they're there. Verse seven, and also John, the son of Zacharias. And then in verse nine, and also Elijah, to whom I have committed the keys of the power of turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. And also with, in verse 10, Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. And then verse 11, and Michael or Adam, verse 12, Peter, James, and John. You just look at this whole thing. And then I love verse 14 as well. And also with all those whom my father hath given me out of the world. And I really want to meet these incredible people who have given everything to the Lord. And they will be there at the sacrament meeting with Jesus Christ who literally gave his life for us. I mean, this is beautiful. Elder Bruce R. McConkie has a great quote on this actual occasion of the sacrament with Christ. Before the Lord Jesus descends openly and publicly in the clouds of glory, attended by all the hosts of heaven, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord sends terror and destruction from one end of the earth to the other, before he stands on Mount Zion or sets his feet on Olivet, or utters his voice from an American Zion or a Jewish Jerusalem, before all flesh see him together, before any of his appearances, which taken together compromise the second coming of the Son of God, before all these, there is to be a secret appearance to selected members of his church. And he's referring specifically to this time, this appearance of Jesus Christ with the sacrament. So what do you think about this, this future experience? I would like to be invited. Isn't that what we're all working towards? I don't know what it's going to take, but in one form or another, the, the Lord is promising that we're, we're going to be there. Yeah. And, th and then of course, that's the introduction to, so therefore lift up your hearts and rejoice and gird up your loins, because if you wanna be there, it's gonna be a battle. And we as members of the church have to be prepared. So I was thinking that keeping our eyes single to the glory of God will help us to just like put away all the distractions. And then we'll look forward more to the time of when Christ comes again and can administer the sacrament. 
And so when we don't focus on distractions during the sacrament meeting, we can think more about that time and be more prepared for it. Thank you, such a great comment. And I just think, and this is typical of, I think us as members, we wanna be there as Leah said, but we want everybody to be there. We want this to be the most beautiful, sacred moment where we are all literally with Christ as he is um, having this sacred and exciting time with all of us. It's been a great conversation all around today. Thank you, Keith, especially for your insights on sections 27 and 28. Happy to be here, thank you. It's been great. All right, and we'd like to thank our studio audience, our wonderful people here. Thank you for your wonderful insights, your thoughts, your questions. It's been fantastic. Yeah, and to those of you at home, thanks for sending us your questions and comments and insights via social media. We'd love to have you join us sometime here in the studio, but if you can't, we hope you'll watch next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.